You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You worked all week. Work, 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 work. You didn't have time to look at your fantasy lineups. Son of a But don't be afraid. That's why we give you Weekend Fantasy Update. Here are your hosts, Joe Galina, Frank Stample, and Mike Florio. And welcome to the Weekend Fantasy Update. Frank Stample here with Michael Florio. You heard Joe Galina's name in the open, but Joe Galina is off this week. And Mike, you know if Joe Galina's got some business to handle, something must be going down that, somewhere. That's the scariest part. He didn't say, like, guys, uh, you know, I'm not feeling well or something. He said, I got some business to take care of. And I just wrote, don't whack anyone. <laughs> so <laughs> Something bad's happening, but, you know, you heard a little chuckle there. That's because we have Matt Modica, CTM Baseball on Twitter. Make sure you follow him. Check out his website, ctmbaseball.com. Matt Modica, how's everything going, man? Uh, I will try and do my role as the fantasy Lucifer today, filling <laughs> in for fantasy Jesus. And happy to be here, guys. But I'm, I think that you kind of fit the, the fantasy the, hitman role pretty well. The resident <laughs> Italian. There you go. Yeah. We take out one Italian, and Joe was like, I'll send one of my associates. And then he sent us Matt Modica. <laughs> we walked in. Matt was just, I'm ready. Was... I'm ready. He's wearing, he's wearing a suit. He's donning the suit. He's got everything so going. Need Pinky to take ring, care of. shining. <laughs> Matt, you know, we're working you hard, man. I, I got to admit, you know, you're getting it done. You're doing Roto Experts in the morning every day. Friday nights, you're doing the Black Book with Joe Pisapia. Uh This morning, you were on Roto Experts as well, right? That is correct. You, uh, you left out old school fantasy, too. Old school fantasy, if too, If you man. Uh, put the mic in front of me, I will come and I will talk. <laughs> if you build it, <laughs> Matt Modica will come. <laughs> no, nah, but... Look, seriously, this is going to be a Modica extravaganza today. Weekend fantasy update. We're going full fantasy baseball mode today. I know it's June. Everyone wants to flip the switch for football already. But, Matt, we're in the middle of the baseball season. I feel like we still got to lay down the law. We still have to get through everything baseball-related. So this entire show will be a fantasy baseball extravaganza. With Matt Modica. Uh, that sounds perfect. Look, I love fantasy football, too. I mean, I love Everyone fantasy baseball it. Absolutely. more. I'll be honest with you. And I started drafting like two weeks ago for fantasy football, but there's four months left. There's still two-thirds of the season to be had and championships to be won. Especially in Roto, too, because, you know, some people fall out of it early. They just mm-hmm. stop paying attention. So that gives you an opportunity to move up in the standings. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to try to help you out. We're going to go through a bunch of stuff. We're going to go through some overreactions in baseball so far this season. We're going to look at some stats that stand out. And we're also going to go through some factor fiction, talk about some uh players that are maybe underperforming or overperforming, and we'll talk about their rest-of-season rankings. Obviously, like I mentioned, you can check out Matt's rankings on his website, ccmbaseball.com. He's got his rest-of-season pitcher rankings. We'll get into those. Uh, But yeah, when we come back, I do want to bring up real quick a little head-to-head points in baseball versus Roto discussion, because I'd love to get your thoughts on it. I was on the air on the news desk yesterday with uh, Tony Sincata and Nando DeFino. These guys were ganging up on me. So, you know, now the tides have turned. I have Michael Florio here. We're, we're points guys, and we're, we're going to do our best to bully uh, Matt Modica. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that when we come back. Much more on the Weekend Fantasy Update on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
Welcome back to Weekend Fantasy Update. Me, Mike Florio, Frank Stanfull, Matt Modica. And Frank said before break, we're going to have a little points versus roto discussion. And, and Frank, I've been in your position before because back uh, before the season started on Sincata and Engel, they actually they were trying to argue me roto's better than points. I hope you held your own. I think I held my own. I tried, man. But I, now, I tried to bring it up to Nando. I used the doubles debate, the walks. Because if you play in standard, you know, standard roto, it's going to be batting average. It's not OBP. And I was just bringing up the point that, you know, in a points league, at least you'll get an extra point for a double. You'll get a point for a walk. Whereas in a standard roto, you won't get anything for that. And I knew that this was going to be his argument back anyway. And he says, well, if you hit a double, then you have a better chance of scoring a run because you're on second base. And runs are a category. Did- I get that, but... If you don't score a run, a double means the same as a single. A triple means the same as a single if you don't score a run in Roto. At least in points, you get a couple extra points for that. I get that points are much more flukier and not the best team doesn't always win, similar to fantasy football. Not the best team. The best team doesn't always win, and it's really the team that gets hot at the right time. I, I'll say this, though. My argument against Roto, man, I know you're a huge Roto player. I, I don't think necessarily the best team wins. I think it's the best team constructed in that scoring category like I think like you know five by five leagues if you added in OBP and total bases and stuff the same team might not win because it it, everything matters differently like so for instance my biggest argument I think now against Roto like you hate the win Matt you hate wins right I would imagine no, Pitcher I don't have wins. a problem with wins. I hate the quality start. Really? I think with all these great advanced metrics we've been able to come up with, we have a 450. I mean, you could have a 450 ERA for a quality start. Say you went six innings, gave up three earned runs. You can give up, you know, combined 10 hits and two walks and have a two. You know, even if you just gave up nine hits and no walks and you got a 150 whip. A 150 whip and a 450 ERA should not be a quality start. I've I've always thought the quality start should change. Like if you go six innings, it should be two runs or less, mm-hmm. or even maybe one run or whatever. But if you go seven, then you could get three runs. It, seven it and be, three sounds like you know nowadays not a lot of people go seven. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I do think it. I, I get that point, but <coughs> I, I think wins. Like we always say, you can't chase wins. They're kind of fluky. You know, your pitcher could have just really bad luck, and. My my biggest argument in the GST league, I think that our pitching staff is the best in the league. I'm second in every other category pitching wise, whip, ERA, strikeouts, saves. I'm tenth in wins, and and it's killing me because my pitchers are not getting run support or whatever. And I, I don't know. I feel like that's such a huge part of it. Where in points leagues, you know, if your pitcher goes eight innings of you know gets a quality start or whatever, gets a lot of strikeouts, but doesn't get a win. You could still compete and still win, and I, I don't know. To me, there's certain factors. Like if we if we don't if we say wins are fluky, I don't think they should be a five by five category. Well, I'll say this about like wins. Like last night's game with uh, Kershaw versus Jimmy Nelson. Say Kershaw got the loss last night. Say uh, Grandal didn't hit that home run, and he went seven innings, struck out fourteen batters, was just amazing. You know that's baseball. You are going to lose a pitching duel one nothing from time to time. I mean, I understand. I, my thing with points leagues is I would like them more like if they were more, say, not head-to-head. That's where I have the problem. I'm not a guy that likes the head-to-head aspect. I like to play it out throughout the full season. So what I really like, say, with football coming up, I'll, I'll use this for instance. In the NFFC, they do it correctly, in my opinion. 
They award the head-to-head person who's ever the head-to-head champ. And if there's a different person that has the most points scored, like last season, I won the points scored and I finished the game back in the head-to-head. So me and him had a battle, and it, it wasn't a one-week playoff. It was a three-week playoff between me and him. We each got you know, uh, a, a certain amount of money each, and then there was another pool of money. Whoever won over the next three weeks got that. I think that's really fair, because I think, in all honesty, if you win head-to-head over the course of a season in football, that does not mean you have the best team. Absolutely. But, you know, you could have the most points scored. And you just, unfortunately, I mean, I had him run in like four weeks where I was scoring 155 to 165 points. And I think I went one and three. You know, it's just going to happen. So I really like, if you take the head-to-head aspect out of it, I'm, then I would be so much more for points. I, I will say I am in a points league right now where it's like Roto. It's not head-to-head at all. You set your lineup. You, you, get, you accumulate points for that week. And then that goes into your standings, and whoever has the most points, you you get you know first most points, second most points. That's how the standings break down. But I will say, I have two other beefs with roto leagues. I, I don't know if you guys will agree or not. I know Frank will agree on one, but the first one is, I think it overvalues certain stats. Like stolen bases are worth so much, and in actual baseball, and I know in points leagues and everything, a stolen base is not equivalent to a home run. But yet in in a, in a roto league, Billy Hamilton is is worth more than guys who hit 30, you know, 35 home runs just because he steals so much. I feel like it it, it kind of, it, it doesn't equate stats the way I feel like they should be equated. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand the argument. I hear, uh, I hear Pissapier and Jake always talking about how they want to make it so much like the real thing. And I'm sorry, it's, it's never going to be just like the real thing, whether it's football, baseball, whatever you try and do. Unless you have incentives for you know those last place teams if it's like a you know a, a league that happens every year or maybe there's some cash prizes that are given out say up to the eighth spot or the tenth spot whatever it may be but in fantasy football you're gonna run into the same problem if somebody starts out one and four or one and five a lot of people will just give up so that's why I like the, the point scored aspect as well because you, you it, it doesn't matter if you're playing somebody you need to put up the best points. And in my opinion, whoever has the most points at the end of the season had the best team. Matt, I don't know if you ever dabbled with Ramodica, Ramodica, be honest with these guys. Uh-oh, Tell here we go. You need to wake up. It, <laughs> you know, wake up. That's too nice. Yeah, I explained this to you yesterday, Frank Stanfield. You know, it's the same thing. You start out in points leagues, just like when you, you start out licking your mom's breast and you, you grow from that, and then you get milk out of a cart. And it's the same thing with rotisserie leagues. There's not a single points league for any amount of money. The NFBC just added one last year. It's 125 bucks. It's the least populated league. You guys are professionals. You have to cater to what the professionals play and the hardcore players do. Stop being a rinky-dink and amateurs. I will say Tony startled me. I thought there was like yeah. the Holy Spirit that came I, in for I, a second. I didn't know where that was for a minute. Yeah, I, I thought this was like a, a playback of like Matt Modica like a month ago yeah. saying, "Oh, I like I like points leagues more or something." <laughs> Pete was just gonna like make you look foolish. Tony, I will say this: whenever we talk about players, we say, "Okay, we like this player more in roto, or we like this player more in points." So we still do cater to the roto audience. But what I've noticed on, especially on BFFs, when the guys uh, that are asking us questions in the YouTube chat, a lot of the questions are about head-to-head points leagues. I do agree with you that the most competitive uh, money leagues people, out there. There's 20 people asking you questions, and 14 of them are cha-cha. <laughs> 
Well, Tata doesn't ask me any points leagues questions, but I will say this, Tony, a lot of those questions are head-to-head points leagues. I think maybe the average fantasy baseball player who just plays in their home league with their friends, they probably play in a points league, and for them it's competitive. They still want to win it. I do agree with you that the most competitive leagues for money are for Roto. I mean, I compete in some of them myself. I play I play in the NFBC draft champions every single year, so I do agree with you, but when we're breaking stuff down, we do like to cater to both audiences because I mean everyone is playing. Like, there are people that are playing both sides of the of the coin here, Tony. Uh, uh, again, I have to correct you. There is no average fantasy baseball league. It's 185 days. It's 26 weeks. Anyone that plays the whole season is hardcore. These people live and die, eat and sleep. They might be in a points league, but I guarantee you they're in a roto league. Nobody is strictly points. I I, you guys, I disagree. Right? I have Sussman, a. The, I have Hold a lot on, of Greg friends. Stuffman, the lamest guy, the lamest guy on the channel. He even said, "You know what? I got to get in a roto league. Everybody plays. Everybody's there because the pressure gets to you. Because you know why? You want to be. If you're competitive at all, you want to take on the best, and the best are playing in these types of leagues. But if Sussman wasn't working here, I don't think he'd be playing in a roto league. I have a lot of friends who are my and age. I don't- and I don't think he'd be listening to a fantasy baseball podcast if he's not playing in a league. But I, have I don't a, think they have would be a lot of enough. I have a lot of friends who play the season throughout. They buy the MLB package so they could watch their teams play and everything. They play in multiple leagues, but they're all points leagues. And when we've tried to make the transition to Roto, they say it's not as competitive because every night you're not looking, what is this guy doing? That you, they rather look, see head to head. I'm going against this guy. I'm playing this guy. I need this many points to win. Whereas in a Roto league, you know, come July, I know we're all huge into it, but come July, it gets to be a little stagnant. You start to look at your fantasy football prep. And you know, with, with points leagues, every single night you're watching every game knowing I need this to win, I need that to win. Whereas in, in a Roto League, you can go three, four days without looking at your team and still be okay. I'm I look at my sure team every night. Matt and myself, yeah, me and Matt, I'm pretty sure we look at our team every night. I had three starters last night. I had Kershaw going off. But you're looking at it from you and, and Matt. You, you and Matt do this for a living and, and are the hardcores. I look at my teams every yeah, night but, too. But but I do live and die with my team. Like People say, why don't you play more uh, daily fantasy? Yeah. I live and die with my season-long teams every night. All right, well, there you go. Hey. We had Matt. We had Tony. Thank you for you calling guys, in, Tony. I wanted to crash your party because you guys are not great, but I love you guys. I Thank love you. you. Like my we, we love you too. When we come back, we'll have more Weekend Fantasy Update. We'll get into the overreactions with Matt Modica next. Weekend Fantasy Update on Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Fantasy Update. Frank Stample here with Michael Florio and the self-proclaimed fantasy Lucifer, Matt Modica, <laughs> filling in for Joe Galina today. Joe Galina, he's got to handle some business, so uh, our thoughts and prayers to go out to whoever's family Joe Whoever is meeting his with. Is, yeah. <laughs> Joe's having a sit-down today, as he said. <laughs> but he's got his business associate, Matt Modica, here. Uh, all right, let's jump in. I got an overreaction here. Trade Kenta Maeda after a few good starts because he doesn't go deep into games. Now, I will tell you this, since we were just talking about it. I own Kenta Maeda in a points league. And this is extremely frustrating because in a points league, obviously volume matters, going deep into games, giving you innings pitched. You get points for all that. Kenta Maeda isn't going to do that. And when I dove into his numbers yesterday, Matt, he's a really interesting guy because 
His numbers are kind of all over the place. I mean, he's ninth in the MLB in swinging strike rate right now with a 14.1% swinging strike rate. His BABIP isn't absurdly high. He's limiting hard contact, just 25.7%. However, with all that being said, his ERA is over 5. The FIP, the XFIP, the Sierra, all over 4. The peripherals don't say he should be much better than that 5 ERA. I want to ask you, is there a chance that everything just broke right Last season with Kenta Maeda, we saw signs in the second half with the 4.25 ERA. And if you watch him pitch, like he has a diverse arsenal. He uses a bunch of different pitches, and he gets a lot of good movement. But it seems like he nibbles a lot. Like He, he tries to work around the edges, and then sometimes he gets into trouble with walks. And then if he falls behind an account, he has to come back over the middle of the plate. And then he's getting squared up. And he rarely goes over 100 pitches, which, like I mentioned, uh, doesn't allow him to go deeper into the game. So... Matt, where do you stand on Maeda? Because I see you have him ranked 33, right behind Tanaka, in your rest-of-season starting pitcher rankings. If he puts together a few good starts, would you look to try and trade him away, or do you look at this as a buy-low opportunity? I, I think you made the good point. about In, in a points league, yes. If he, uh, But in, in a roto league, this is a guy that I do believe is talented. As you just mentioned, he has a diverse pitch selection. Maybe it's the pitch sequencing that's getting him in trouble as well. But if you got a 14-point-something swinging strike rate, that's pretty damn good. That's, you know, that's up there with almost the elites, you know, 14 15%. You know, you're talking 16%. You're talking like Max Scherzer-ish. You know? Yeah. So I just think this is a guy – I didn't like what the Dodgers did because I don't think he was injured, and they put him on the DL to maybe try to manage him, and they have so many people fighting for a rotation spot there right now. And when a guy's doing well, you don't want to stop the momentum. Uh, last season, as a rookie, he had a 25% uh, strikeout percentage. The walks he keeps down. He's doing the same thing this year. The strikeout percentage is a little lower than last year. I think this is a guy that pitches at Chavez Ravine, has just Monty Grandal as his catcher, and is in the National League, and is a guy that I'm going to buy low on if I get the opportunity. Mike, how about you? I think the Grandal thing is a great point that goes under the radar because he is just fantastic pitch aiming, calling a game, everything. But... I'm I'm not as high on Maeda. I, it's not because of the skill set. It's because of the Dodgers. He's only averaging 85 pitches per start. His last two outings, he's gone five innings and four innings. He, you know, he, that's what I worry about. He's not going to go deep into games. So if he gives up two runs over five innings, that's going to hurt your ERA a lot more than you know if they let him go six or seven. And even though his swing and strike rate is up, he's not going to give you enough strikeouts if he's not going deep into games. And not only that. I worry about the Dodgers using, you know, this DL as basically just a way of resting their pitchers. Like when Alex Wood comes back and, and, you know, they're starting to get the rotation healthy. I wouldn't be surprised if Maeda has another phantom DL stint just to limit his innings. And so because of the Dodgers and the way they are using him, I'm not really looking to buy Kenta Maeda right now. Here's a quick counter. I mean, Brandon McCarthy, when healthy, he's pitching well when, when he's healthy for the most part. I don't see him surviving the season. Hinjin Ryu, we're asking a guy that didn't pitch for two years, how far into the season can he go? Alex Wood, who I absolutely adore, love, all that. I was worried about him getting injured. He's gotten injured. It's a little more severe than we all thought. And how deep can he go into the season? So I think what the Dodgers are trying to do right now is maybe overmanage people and have them for as the season goes on. I don't think there's any question they're going to win this division. So that's where I'm taking it. As I see a guy, I mean, if you own Maeda and you're looking to trade him, you're really not, I don't think, expecting much in return right now. So why why trade him? 
Do you worry that because the Dodgers kind of <laughs> limit him and don't let him go over 100 pitches on his pitch count often, does that worry you that he doesn't do- go deep into games? I mean, a lot of the games we saw him last year, he only goes five, six innings. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the six, as long as you can go six, I'm fine with it, especially in today. The Dodgers do have a really good bullpen, too. They're a team that one of the things I've noticed, and it's been, it's been pointed out, and I think people really need to take a look at this, is this team just pitches up in the zone like no other team in the league, and they just blow it by people. I mean, they can't touch them. So, I mean, I just, the things I set, the reasons why I like him, it's just too much for me. I do think this is a talented pitcher. I think maybe it's more pitch uh, sequencing. I think he needs to stay in there. No pulling him out of the rotation and this and that for a 10-day stint. That, that time is over. We're in June now. So, and, you know, we still got Julio Urias to come back up. I don't know how this rotation is going to uh, end up, but I don't think everybody's going to be healthy. I mean, Rich Hill's proven that he can't stay on the damn mound neither. I, I will. Oh, sorry. I was going to so say. I will say since April twenty eighth, he's been a lot better. ERA of three point three eight, FIP of below three, XIP at three eight two. But you know, still the strikeouts are there. The walks have uh, been limited. But in that stretch, I mean, he has gone more than five innings twice in that. But those are the only two starts all year where he's gone more than five innings. That's my only concern. And it, it's I, the reason I blame the Dodgers is because, like I said, he's averaging eighty five pitches per. Per start, obviously the ones where he went seven and eight point one innings, he probably he went well over that. But a normal team, when your pitcher's at seventy five to eighty five pitches, you're thinking I can get at least one, maybe two more innings out of this guy. The Dodgers think, all right, his day is done. Yeah, like I said, I think it was kind of the uh, over managing with, with the DL two. I think he did have two starts at Coors early in the season as well. And maybe, you know... Uh, he had one at Coors where he gave up four earned runs in five innings. Mm-hmm. And he had one in Arizona, which is a tough place to play. He gave up six runs in that start, too. You know, he does have to face those guys. They are part of his division. But, I mean, I, I just... I think he's somebody that has a skill set. And I'm a guy that's going to buy skills. Look, I said, I got him 33. He was a guy that I had probably had about 10 spots higher coming into the season. And all these guys in that range. You look at, like, Jose Quintana. Jose Quintana is never a fantastic pitcher. He's yep. a solid pitcher. Yep. And I think at some point he's going to get his game together. You're going to see, We see it every year. Like We tweet out stats like, oh, from the second half of the year or for the last two months, pitchers are going to get hot too. Yep. And you have to also remember, this is only two-month sample size. You know, if we look back in September, you know, you add another three months to this. Things are going to – a lot of people are going to get skewed. And that's why with the rankings, if you see, a lot of the guys I have up there in that top 10 range or top 15 names are guys that are there every year, guys that can do it. I mean, the Lesters, the Quatos, those are guys right now I, I'd be targeting in every league. Yeah, again, again though, like, I, I'm not arguing at all his skill set. It's just you said the Dodgers have a great bullpen. They're, they have such a quick hook with – some, with most of their starters, besides Kershaw, but I think that's part, partially Wood. right now trying to protect the arms because you have so many injury risk guys, guys that have you know Ryu's gone for two years, Brandon McCarthy's knees shot, so I mean he, you got Hill with the blister, Maeda. I I think you're going to see a longer leash on Maeda as the season goes along. That's I could be wrong, but that's what I'm. Gonna and if so, then now it would be a good time to buy because the people who own him obviously are not expecting that, and and they probably are pissed because they you know use an early draft pick on him, probably drafted him as their SP three. I would imagine. Yeah, in most instances, I think I think that's fair to say. But let me move on to a 
offensive position player now, a catcher, Jonathan Lucroy. And is this an overreaction, that he should be dropped in single catcher leagues? I know the standard for Roto nowadays, and it's always been this way, has been two catchers. I mean, maybe you even consider dropping him there. I mean, I don't think you could based on where you drafted him. But what he's done so far, I mean, he's hitting two fifty eight with three home runs, 10 runs scored, and 13 RBIs. He's catcher 34 in Roto right now. Catcher 14 in points because he plays a lot. But let me read some of these names that are ahead of him in Roto. Kurt Suzuki, Derek Norris, Jan Gomes, Sandy Leon, Rene Rivera, Austin Barnes, who has less than half of the at-bats that Jonathan Lucroy has this year, is better than Lucroy in Roto so far this season. He's ha- He had a dreadful April. He hit better in the month of May, but still not much power. And what's crazy, if you look at the, the, the walk rate and the, the strikeout rate, he's walking less this year, but he's not striking out at all. He's making contact. His 6.8% strikeout rate is by far best in the major leagues. I mean, it's even better than Buster Posey, who every year is up there, you know, in terms of making content and not striking out. The problem with him is his BABIP and his isolated power. He's not making any hard contact, and he's hitting a ton of ground balls. You can't sell low because he's playing so bad, so... Do you just sit tight in deeper leagues and kind of just ride it out with Lucroy? Or if you play in a single catcher league, is this a guy that you're just dropping? In a deeper league, you definitely have to sit tight. I mean, just uh, for instance, like look at last season. People were cutting Brian Dozier. You know, right about this time, after two months, he was just god awful. Uh, Justin Turner did absolutely nothing last year until the month of June. Went on to hit like 20 something home runs after that point, bat like 300 and something. Uh, I think I think Lucroy is too talented. I think maybe he has to start selling out for power. That was one of the things he did last season. Why the strikeout rate jumped up? It's a really nice park. It hasn't gotten that. We're starting to get warm now. I think we're going to see some players make that. You know, look at look going back to last month. Joey Batista, you know, Jose Batista coming in. You know, two or three weeks ago, people were like should we cut him? And you know, his month of May that. People were worried about Devin Travis. So you got to have, I mean, in a single catcher league, if, if you wanted to ride a hot hand, I can't blame you. But he's a guy that I might be picking up right now if he's out there. Yeah, Lucroy, I think in a two catcher league, especially like a deeper one, like 14, 15 teams, you, you have to even leave him in your lineup. Like, I don't mm-hmm. even think you could think about benching him. I mean, I have him in GSC, so we have to fifth I round pick Robinson Torinos in a couple of NFBC leagues, just sitting there because he do not play every day, but I don't want to get too hurt neither. Yeah. He has some power. And even if you're in a one-catcher, 12-team or whatever, I, I think maybe you could sit him for now, get another option there, but I'm not looking to drop this guy. I mean, I, I again, I didn't think coming into the year he was going to give you 20-plus homers. I thought he'd be more around the 18 to 20 range, but still, I mean, this guy right now, and, and I know you hit a, you made a bunch of great points on him. The one thing to me that really jumps out as well, though, 52.4% ground ball rate. Mm-hmm. He's hitting nearly two ground balls for every fly ball. So I mean, we all thought, you know, going to Texas, maybe, you know, he, his home run totals could spike. It's just really weird. But, but that's a great point you made there, Mike, because last season it was like under one. Yeah. And now it's almost two. So that's that's a drastic change right there. I, I think Matt is right. I think he kind of has to sell out, start hitting, trying to hit the ball in the air more, trying to get some out as the weather warms up. But, but we're going to do more of these Overreactions, if they're overreactions or not. So, Maeda and Lucor, we were kind of on the fence. We'll see if we can all get together on one when we come back on Weekend Fantasy Update.
Welcome back to Weekend Fantasy Update. We are having a game where we, you know, we say something that maybe is on your mind. You let us, we discuss, we tell you if you're overreacting or, you know, if, if you're thinking straight right now, thinking clearly. The next one, it's going to be a fun one, I think. Michael Conforto, his hot streak is over. And what happened last year, you know, it's, it's happening again. And, and for those wondering, you know, since in the past week, since May 25th, Conforto's hitting 171, striking out in a quarter of his at-bats. He does have one home run that he hit last night off of Garrett Cole. Uh, just two doubles, four ribbies in that stretch. His walk rate's down from what it was on the year. OBP of 256. I'm going to ask you first, Matt. Is this an overreaction? I think this is definitely an overreaction. I think the best thing that happened to Michael Conforto in his young career was experiencing last season and failing so miserably. He went down to uh, the minors. I know the Mets play in Vegas, which is a joke. But he got he he got everything righted, we, and I I just I'm looking at his profile, and it's it's everything I like. And all guys, every every player is going to have their ups and downs. And Aaron Judge is going to have the same thing. He's going to go through it. But if you have a forty seven percent hard hit rate and a forty percent fly ball, that's fantastic. Another stat I really like is his infield fly ball percentage is two percent. That's awesome. So I mean, this is, you know you got to like it. His ground ball, uh, the line drive percentage is two is twenty three percent, almost twenty five. That's really nice. Yeah, it's almost like a carbon copy of last year, right? I mean, la- last season in April he hit three sixty five, and then the bottom just completely fell out. But I'm not overreacting to this as well. During that stretch, Mike, that you mentioned over the past week, he's hitting uh, around like one seventy or whatever. He still has a fifty percent hard hit rate during that time, so it, it just seems like it's been a little bit of bad luck. I will say this. I mean, he's been awesome. He's on pace right now for 40 home runs, 112 runs scored, and over 100 RBI. I wanted to ask you guys, what's realistic for him to accomplish in those three categories by season's end? Because, Matt, like you mentioned, still a young player. I think you know pitchers will start to figure him out a little bit. There will be some peaks and valleys. I legitimately think that he can probably still hit 30 home runs and maybe flirt with 80 or 90 in both of these categories, which would make him... Probably like a second or third round pick next year. I kind of have to agree. I think 30 home runs is is a definite possibility. But I also put an asterisk next to that because everyone is skewed this year. Yes. I mean, the ball is just... I think after this season's over, MLB is going to have to go back and look at it and say, you know what? We got to do something with this ball again because, you know, it's just... It's, it's becoming like not even fun that everybody hits home runs. I mean, unless you really like playing arcade style stuff, this is becoming. You a don't little... take the long ball. You're not a chick, man. Come on. I like the long <laughs> ball. I just don't like everybody hitting the long yeah. ball. That's that's where I mean. Maybe it's because I grew up in the '80s and like you know, if you know if somebody hit like 35 home runs, that was a real accomplishment. But now I mean, everybody's hitting over 25. It's like not even. I mean, it's 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 nothing. It's I mean, Elvis Andrews is probably gonna hit what 15 home runs this year. Yeah. <laughs> so. Just, I, and just he's never even hit double example. digits in his career before this, you but, know, coming into the season. But I do think you're right about uh, his total numbers. I do think it depends where he ends up totally in, in the lineup. Where is he finally situated? Uh, I'm where kinda, do you want to see him in the lineup? I three. mean, he's been hitting leadoff mostly, right? And it kinda, uh, yeah, every day. They, they hit him third once, I Personally, I've come around to the fact that we have Cespedes. I want Cespedes third. I want him second. I want them two to get as many at-bats as possible. 
Uh, I, I know Jay Bruce was really hot, cooled down, maybe picking it up a little. Or, or Lucas Duda, when he gets hot, you ride his hot streaks like he's currently doing. Just He's just crushing the ball. But you could put somebody else in the uh, four hole. I like that 2-3 combo with him. Problem with the Mets is, who's their leader? Yeah, who's that's exactly team? what I was going to say. But him hitting second ahead of Cespedes with a healthy Cespedes, we assume, he'd see some good pitches to hit. Yeah, no, that's... I, I think 30... I kind of—it's hard to say he's a lock, but I kind of think he is. I mean, he's hit 14 already this year, and that's with the first few weeks of the season he wasn't even an everyday player. <laughs> I know he's not going to keep this pace up, but I—I I mean, I would be—I'll tell you this—I'd be more uh, if he plays the whole year, doesn't get hurt. I'd be more surprised if he didn't hit 30 than if he did. Uh, and I, I agree, the runs and the ribbies—it all depends on where he's hitting in the order. And because, like Matt, Matt said, who is their leadoff hitter? I see Conforto going in the lead, being in the leadoff hitter for the foreseeable future. I don't think they go back to Reyes. Obviously, I think C- uh, Granderson's going to lose his spot when Cespedes returns, so I don't see them going back to him. And even if you bench Reyes, I mean, you're replacing him with Flores or TJ Rivera. They're not leadoff guys. I think the only scenario where we could see Conforto get bumped down, where because not saying that Conforto shouldn't should be hitting leadoff, but you know Terry Collins is weird. I, Terry I, must I, go. I, I, I agree. That but, time has come. If Rosario gets called up, that's what I was going to say. I think you see him going leadoff and Conforto to Cespedes three. Wouldn't I would, that be a little bit too much pressure yeah, for a saying. rookie? I, I think eventually in his career that might be his spot, but I, I don't think the Mets will do it because they don't want to put that pressure on him immediately. Even though they they do need to have that hole. The way it would happen, he would have to come up and play very well for like a month, and then Terry would be like, "Oh well, now I got to get him in the leadoff spot." That's your Terry Collins voice? That's how he sounds, kind of. <laughs> I got to say, Scott does have a good uh, Terry Collins. He does do a good Terry Collins. Well, you spend enough time in, in the locker room and around these guys, and you know, you pick up on a few things. I'll just say so, that. So the next reaction, we're going to the other the other side of the city. <laughs> yeah, Mike, no, Mike, you, you announced the Mets one. I, I want to announce okay. the Yankees okay. one, right? Aaron Judge is a first-round pick in fantasy baseball next season. I want to find out if this is an overreaction. I want to give you my take on this first. You watch him play this year. His approach from this season to last season is night and day. I mean, it's not even close. He's extremely selective with the pitches that he swings at this year. Last year, he swung at pitches outside of the zone nearly 34% of the time. This year, that has dropped to 24.8% of the time. That's 5% better than league average. It's crazy to think that he's matured you know, this much as a hitter in just one offseason, but you watch him play. He even makes in-game adjustments from at-bat to at-bat. Last night against Francisco Liriano, he struggled in that first at-bat. After being ahead 2-0, he struck out. Next time he was up, very selective with his pitches. What happened? He ended up hitting a home run. I think a lot of credit, and I don't want to take anything away from Judge because he has been awesome himself. I think a lot of credit has to go to Matt Holliday as well as a veteran mentor. Yesterday on the Yankees broadcast as well, they said every single day Aaron Judge shows up to the ballpark, he asked Matt Holliday, what is your approach against this pitcher? What is going to be your approach at the plate when facing you know this guy? Because Matt Holliday has so much expertise as a hitter, you know, being in the league for so long and being a veteran, being a, just a classic hitter and being there to mentor Aaron Judge. So I did want to touch on that a little bit. Right now, I mean, he's on pace for 55 home runs and 120 or more in both RBI and runs. I don't think that's going to happen, but I mean, like Conforto, he's hitting the ball extremely hard, doesn't hit a ton of fly balls. His home run to fly ball ratio is exorbitant right now. It's like 39.5%, which would, if the season ended today, that would be the highest mark since when Ryan Howard hit 58 home runs back in like 2006. 
Well, what's interesting, if you look at Conforto and Judge's uh, batted ball profile, it's very similar. Conforto's is actually a little better, but it's very f- similar from the infield fly percentage to the hard hit percentage is almost identical. The line drive percentage is maybe a point off. So it's very, very close here as far as the batted ball. I saw him originally a couple of years back, the first time I went to uh, the Arizona Fall League, and he looked like Mike Stanton in a Yankee uniform. I mean, you just him and Greg Bird, the first game I ever saw out there was uh, Tyler Glass now was pitching, and he looked atrocious back then. He still does now. What do you know? <laughs> Bird and Judge both hit moonshots off him. And this is a guy back then they were saying, for a big guy, he doesn't have a huge swing. Like most power hitters have a long type of swing. It was more of a compact swing. Is he, could he be a first-round pick next year? I think with fantasy owners, they're so fickle. It's all going to depend how that second half goes. Because if you have a great second half, people love you. You could have a great first half, and if you tail off in the second half, you're like, you know, people People want no party for some reason. It's absolutely so. true. Every year coming in, we say, oh, well, this guy sucked in the second half. So, you know, I, I it, what he did in the first half wasn't real. Exactly. So I, agree I mean, it's, it's such recency bias that it gets out of control. And that's a good way to maybe get an underappreciated value in your drafts and stuff. Say, look, the guy who did it in the first half, he slumped. If vice versa, you know, unless it's somebody that got figured out. Think of it this way. Trey Turner had a huge second mm-hmm. half, and he was a first-round pick this year. So Aaron Judge had a huge first-round first half. So I don't think it's crazy to say he could be a first-round pick. I, I will say I obviously don't think he's going to keep this pace up. I, I've been saying for a while, I, I mean, he's been proving me wrong. I do think he will hit a slump at some point. Every young hitter does. The league makes adjustments. But I don't think it's crazy to think he could be a late first, early second round pick for well, both of these guys, Conforto I mean, if, and Judge. If he's forty and ten, that's you know who's not going to pay that. I but, mean, I, I, as long as he has a decent average, I mean, forty home runs, ten stolen bases. He's on pace for twelve stolen bases too. Mm-hmm. Like it's an underrated part of his game. You watch him run yesterday. The guy can oh, move for oh, a listen, dude that's six foot seven. I, I'm insane. not a Yankee fan, but I've been watching a lot of Yankee games, and I got Aaron Judge in my AL league for two dollars. Wow. And he's like one of my favorite players now. <laughs> I just can't see him going over the proven guys like Goldie, Harper, Trout, no, Blackman. Not. But maybe a late first yeah, round yeah, pick. Yeah, that, that's the earliest I think I could see him going late first round. So it's not an overreaction? No. No. Absolutely. Great. Thanks, guys. Making me feel better about the Yankees. We have more overreactions when we come back on Weekend Fantasy Update on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. And we're back. Weekend Fantasy Update. Frank Stanfield here with Michael Florio. Matt Modica at CTM Baseball on Twitter. Check out his rest of season pitcher rankings. CTMBaseball.com. Sitting in for Fantasy Jesus, so he's kind of taking the persona of the Fantasy Lucifer. Uh, I haven't heard any, like, kind of demonic sayings or anything too evil yet, though. But maybe maybe we'll get it out of Matt. It did get a little spooky when Tony came on. So I just said, fuck, it was like the Holy Ghost or something. I thought he was yeah. shot down. Maybe you summoned him, you know, using your <laughs> Lucifer powers. But <laughs> we're talking about some overreactions in fantasy baseball to this point in the season. Of course, it's only June 3rd. So, I mean, not too early. We're two months into the season, so we have a decent sample size. The next one up is Andrew McCutcheon and Adam Jones are not must-own players in 12-team leagues. 
Let's start with Andrew McCutcheon because he's a very polarizing player in fantasy baseball so far this year. I mean, the average is around 200. I want to say buy low on him because as bad as the average is, the counting stats have been okay from him. I mean, you look what he's done. Eight home runs, 26 runs scored, 25 RBIs, five stolen bases. Nothing's blowing you away, but look, the steals are back a little bit now. Last year, he only stole six bases. He's already got five this year. I mean, he's on pace for around 25 home runs. I mean, last year he hit 24, so that's pretty much where he's at. But he's on pace to, you know, get double-digit steals once again. So that's good to see. What I will say about the 224 batting average right now is he's hitting more ground balls this year than in recent years. I mean, he's hitting much more ground balls. And his batting average on ground balls this year is 154. I mean, that is absolutely dreadful. Meanwhile, the, the hard hit rate... It's still, I mean, in the mid-30%, 35% range, which it was the past couple of years. Uh, but his batting average on ground balls in 2016, not great, 232, but much better than 154. And then in 2015, it was 278. So I wanted to bring up, I mean, is there a possibility that teams are just scouting him more? They know where he's hitting ground balls. They're putting the shift on him, which has led to this low batting average because the more ground balls he's hitting, obviously he's hitting just 154 against those. So I wanted to get your thoughts on the batting average of McCutcheon whether or not you think he's a buy low or not, or should he just not be owned in 12-team leagues? I would buy low on him. I, I didn't think this – I thought he'd bounce back this season. I didn't think the speed would be there. I figured, you know, at best he'd steal 10, which he's got five right now. I, I don't know how much more he's going to run. I mean, I think maybe 10-12 is realistic for the rest of the season yep. to finish with. But he's a guy that's also going to get moved. He's also a guy last season that started off really slow – and was not playing too well. And finished, you know, with 24 homies, 80 RB, uh, eighty runs, almost 80 RBIs. So, I mean, he's not the player he was, but I, I think he has a function, especially with all these injuries that we're facing right now. I mean, if you're a Mike Trout owner, say, in a 12-team league, and you need to fill a void and you can get McCutcheon for cheap, I, I'd be looking to do that. I mean, you, you're going to need something. I, I think he's better than a 224 hitter. I'm not saying he's a 300 hitter anymore, but I, I do think he, he could bat, you know, 280 rest of the season. And one thing I think that may go under the radar, I, when it first happened, I kind of viewed it as a negative. About a week ago, seven games it's been now, they lowered him to six in the order because they mm-hmm. said they want to take the pressure off of him. They don't want him to feel like it's his job to, to win games for them. He has to do it all. And since they've done that... He is a hit in all seven games. He's hitting 375. He's walking more, 16% walk rate. Still striking out a quarter of the time, but that's down from what it was on the year, I believe. Two homers in that span, six runs, five ribbies, no stolen bases. But you know what? If he's doing this well in the six hole, maybe he's rejuvenated. Maybe he feels like, I have to prove myself now. They're lowering me. I've never, I tweeted it last week. It's the lowest he's ever consistently hit in the lineup. He's always been a leadoff hitter a two-hitter, or a three-hitter for this team. Now he's hitting six. Maybe it, it sparked a fire in him. Maybe, you know, it, it's just, it is less pressure. But whatever, it's working right now. I do think you should buy low on Andrew McCutcheon. So there's our thoughts on Andrew McCutcheon. When we come back, quickly we'll get into Adam Jones. we got a couple other overreactions involving Aaron Hicks. We'll do that when we come back on the Weekend Fantasy Update on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You worked all week. Work, 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 work. You didn't have time to look at your fantasy lineups. Son of a b- But don't be afraid. <laughs> 
That's why we give you Weekend Fantasy Update. Woohoo! Here are your hosts, Joe Galina, Frank Stample, and Mike Florio. Welcome back to the Weekend Fantasy Update. You know, we're entertaining you. We got we got the Fantasy Lucifer, Matt Modica, Frank Stample, myself, Mike Florio. We're letting you know things that, you know, we, we hear people are thinking and if it's an overreaction or not. We've gone through a lot. And one thing that, that I, do, I hear all the time, a lot of people complain about Adam Jones. And I, I get questions, oh, should I bench him? Is he worth owning? I mean, the guy right now is hitting 261. It's not great, but that's what he's kind of been the last few years. 10 homers, 26 uh, runs, 27 RBIs, a stolen base. The plate discipline is on par with years past. So I ask you guys, if you're playing in a 12-team league right now, do you have to own Adam Jones? And, and even in a deeper league, are you looking to go out and acquire him? I don't think you can acquire him for that cheap. I mean, you look at what he's doing right now. It's pretty much on par with what he did last year, too. Meanwhile, he's been banged up. I mean, the guy's been battling an ankle and a hip issue, apparently. He's still hitting 261, and he's had a hot past couple of games, too. He's hit two, three home runs in the past week. He has 10 homers, 26 runs, 27 RBIs. That's pretty much what you draft him for. He's going to hit close to 30. He doesn't wow you anymore. He's not going to hit near 300, but 260 to 270 batting average with 25-plus home runs. It's not sexy, but Adam Jones is gonna he's gonna do that. He's gonna get there. I'd say he's a, a solid outfield three. That's probably what he was being drafted as. If someone dropped him in a twelve team league, I mean points, Roto, it doesn't matter. I mean, I get it in a points league, he doesn't walk all that much. But the Orioles are still a pretty good lineup. He's going to score a lot of runs, uh, and the volume is going to be there. He's going to hit uh, near the top of that lineup. So even in a points league, I mean, regardless of the format, even if it's head-to-head categories, I think this is a guy that should still be owned in 12-team leagues. So outfield three, 25-plus home runs. You know what you're getting at Adam Jones. Yeah, I totally agree. I'll piggyback on what you just said pretty much. He's been the same player the last couple of seasons. This is, you know, he's going to hit borderline 30 home runs. 85, you know, 90 RBIs at best. But everything's the same. The the batted ball profile, he's going to have a stretch where he's going to carry his team. He does it every year. You know, he's not done at this point. So, yeah, in worst case, you put him on your bench. No, I agree with you guys. I think come the end of the year, it's going to be close to 30 homers. He's going to be hitting in the 260s, 270 range, like you said. 80 runs, 80 RBIs, a handful of stolen bases. And I get it. We... The numbers aren't as sexy as they used to be because, like you said, you know the, the home run spikes around baseball. But you, like, I drafted this guy in a few leagues because I said, come the end of the year, I know exactly what I'm going to get out of him. And I feel like he was going down draft boards. But like you said, Matt, I mean, if he goes on a hot streak, th- th- he has ten home runs right now with missing games due to banged up and you know not playing, not having like a real hot streak yet. I think if he goes on a streak like that, like where you know he has a week or two where he puts a team on his back, he could hit thirty home runs. I mean, he hit twenty nine last year. Yeah, and the boring guys just get undervalued every single year. I mean, Matt Holiday looks like he's going to hit 25-plus home runs this year. Nobody wants the old guy Larry Fitzgerald in football. It happens in every single fantasy sport. Uh, we have Aaron Hicks and Jonathan VR when we come back. We got a couple of stats later on and some factor fiction with Modica's rankings. We'll do that on the Weekend Fantasy Update. Welcome back to Weekend Fantasy Update. Frank Stanfield here with Michael Florio. No Joe Galina today. The fantasy Jesus, or rather fantasy hitman, is out handling business. 
But he sent us one of his associates. We have Matt Modica here in studio. It's a full fantasy baseball Modica extravaganza because, you know, why not? It's June. We still got to stick up with baseball. I get it that people are getting excited for football, but it's still June. We're in the middle of the baseball season. So we're going to continue to do that. Guys, Aaron Hicks right now is the 15th best outfielder in Roto, just behind Giancarlo Stanton. Mind you, Giancarlo Stanton was a third-round pick. Aaron Hicks might have been, I don't know, 33rd-round pick, something like that, especially in a draft champions or anything like that. Uh, he's an outfield 22 in points leagues right now. So are Aaron Hicks a top 40 outfielder? Rest of season. Is this an overreaction? I'll start off. I wanted to say that I think it might be because playing time could become an issue when Jacoby Ellsbury returns. I think if Ellsbury is healthy, Aaron Hicks is going to be reduced to a maybe he'll play three times a week. He'll play against left-handed pitching every time there's a lefty out there. But I think that could limit some of his value. But today it came out that Ellsbury hasn't been able to pass the concussion test and we've seen concussions. I mean, obviously in football, it's very prevalent. But we've seen it end some careers in baseball, too. I mean, Justin Morneau, he was the guy that was never able to come back after concussions. So I don't want to overreact with that either. Either, But Ellsbury dealing with this concussion issue could linger for, you know, a majority of the season. Just speculating. But if that's the case, I think Aaron Hicks can easily be a top 40 outfielder for the rest of the season. But obviously, a lot of it depends on his playing time and the health of Jacoby Ellsbury. Yeah, this is a kid with pedigree. The Twins are always waiting for it to uh, come to fruition. Uh, in 163 plate appearances, like 200 less than last year, he's pretty much matched the, the uh, totals he put up in 2016. The stat that I really love here is the 17% uh, walk percentage versus the 16.5 strikeout percentage. That just stands out to me. Uh, his ISO is over 250. I mean, the Babbitt's 347, but that's not, like, outrageous Babbitt. So there's just, I think, so much to like here. There is the thing about playing time, but I think he's gotten to the point, and one of the reasons why I think the Yankees do need to be aggressive on getting a starting pitcher when you have somebody talented like him, and they are deep. They're, they're a pretty deep team. The one thing the other they do need besides a pitcher is a third baseman. Chase Headley must go. And, you know, so that's why I'm actually high on the Yankees. Yeah, I, I think Hicks is borderline top 40 outfielder because of the playing time concerns. I kind of wish the Yankees, we see teams do this all the time. I get Ellsbury wasn't playing terrible, but they let the contract dictate who should play. And I don't think you could make the case that Ellsbury's been a better player than Aaron Hicks for the Yankees. I mean, the one thing, though, I will say about Hicks, I know this is the best baseball he's ever played. He has eight home runs in two months. That pace, I think, will come down. I don't know if he could, like Matt said, the ISO's pretty high. I don't know if he could sustain that 21% home run to fly mm-hmm. ball rate. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if he hit eight home runs the ne- the rest of the season. But still, I mean, if you're getting like 15 to, let's say, 20 homers and, and 15 to 20 stolen bases out of a guy, that will make you a top 40 outfielder. It's just the only concerns I have with him are the playing time. I know he's not left-handed, but that park will help in the summer. And just the American League East parks that he's going to play in. So, as we as I stated before, too, with the home runs being at, at a ridiculous rate, I could still see him getting 20 home runs. 
Yeah, I did want to bring up the batted ball profile because he's not hitting the ball much harder than he was last year. Mm-hmm. He's around 31%, which is close to league average. Uh, but the home run to fly ball ratio is still very high at 21%. But you brought up good points. I mean, Yankee Stadium is going to help him there. Obviously, the other parks as well. So I think it's not an overreaction, right? Like, we're buying him as a top 40 outfielder for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think the only reason... We- like if uh, we have any trepidation about it, is the playing time. But I think the Yankees are going to be creative enough to work him in there. All right, I wanted to bring up Jonathan VR because, like you know, Andrew McCutcheon, very polarizing player this season. And here is is this an overreaction that Jonathan VR's 2016 was a career year and a fluke? There are a couple of things I want to get to right now because he struck out a ton last year, 25. percent But now he's striking out. 30% of the time as a player who is supposed to hit at the top of the order, he's still walking a decent amount of time, 9%. But a guy, you can't have your leadoff or even a guy, you know, batting second, striking out 30% of the time. You you just can't have that. I mean, last year, he was 19 home runs, 62 stolen bases, 285 batting average. The Babbitt was very high at 373. And I think the batting average can improve this year uh, because the hard hit rate isn't down that much from last season. And he's still hitting a ton of ground balls. But honestly, I don't think this is an overreaction. I get that he's still young. He had some prospect pedigree when he was on the Houston Astros a couple of years ago. But for him to be able to match a 285 batting average over the course of of an entire season and hit nearly 20 home runs with 62 stolen bases. I think last year could very well go down as a career year for him, even though he's still very young, and I think it can be very fluky. He has 30, 13 stolen bases this year, probably can flirt with another 40, but... Six of those came in two games. He's I know, three, he, two, he's three gonna, stolen base games, which he, is... He can, he can run, but, I mean, he, there are times where he's been unsuccessful. To me. To, like, I, I get it, three in a game is awesome, but to me, if, if you have six in just two games, that means in the other, what, like 40 games that he's played, he has seven... So there's, I'm guessing there's certain times where they feel confident enough. This pitcher, you know, he can't hold on a runner, just go get, go steal away. But then there's other games where they're trying to be more cautious, keep him on base, not get him caught stealing. I, I don't know if I take that as a positive or a negative. That almost half his stolen bases have come in two games. And we and we spoke about it like a month ago, right? That there's a correlation in baseball right now where maybe players are running less for stolen bases because. The power hitter, power hitters behind them, they don't want these guys running into outs when you have Eric Thames coming up next, when you have Travis Shaw who's hitting home runs. You know, if Jonathan VR tries to steal the base and he gets caught stealing, what could have been a two-run or three-run home run now becomes a solo shot. So why are you going to take that opportunity for Jonathan VR to try and steal when you have those kind of power hitters that the Milwaukee Brewers and do have? I, I will say this. I know you said you know striking out too much. That's obvious. They don't want him in the leadoff spot anymore because he's not getting on base. He's been demoted to seventh in the order the past week. And since going down, 211 average, small sample size, of course, only 21 plate appearances, 211 average, 47.6 strikeout rate, one stolen base, one caught stealing. And if you're hitting him seventh, to me, you're not going to run him nearly as much as if he's in the top of the lineup where you're trying to get him in scoring position for you know your, your run producers. I, I'm i really worried about Johnny VR. And, and I know when we spoke about him, like, a few weeks ago, we were saying, well, the hard hit rate's on par with what he was doing last year. Sitting the ball on the ground a little bit more, you would think that that helps him. His hard hit rate has now gone way below what it was last year, a few percentiles, uh, percentage points below. I, I am worried about him. 
And I get the points. The whole thing I looked at coming into this season was, yes, last year was a career year. I don't think it was ever going to get as good as that. The two leagues I do have him in, I got him in, like, early third round. I wouldn't pay a second-round price for him. But when it came, like, you know, third pick in the third round, just on his speed alone, there's a lot to like. And Mike makes a good point. You know, in two games, he's stolen three bases. But that's still a great park. He's gotten off to a bad start. That 5% difference in strikeout percentage is huge for him. You know, he is hitting a ton of ground balls. He's got the pop in him. The Babbitt for him is way down. He needs to be a plus 350 Babbitt guy. You know, so maybe it's a little bad luck with these ground balls, too, that aren't finding holes because he's hitting a lot more ground balls. But I, I like the Brewers team. I know there's a little bit of competition for playing time right now, and he's been demoted. But this is a guy that, it, what was your expectations coming in? Like a guy like Kyle Hendricks, who I was promoting as a safe number two before the velocity really dropped out. But I didn't expect him to have a 213 ERA coming into this year. No. I expected a 330 ERA. Frank, I know Frank and I both expected, Frank was a little higher on VR than I was, but we both expected some regression from last year. I was expecting him to hit more in the 250 range, give you like, 15 homers around there. But I, the reason I drafted him in the second round in the league was because I still thought he can give you 50 stolen bases. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I thought more like, yeah, I thought 50 might be the ceiling, but I thought 45 was reasonable. Now, let's just say he has these two months weren't good. Let's say his next two months are really good. He can steal 20 bases in the next two months. Yeah. So, you know, I would think, you know, this line with, with a better batting average, another five homers, Maybe some more runs, maybe fifteen to twenty stolen bases over the next two months. So he's somebody that he has how many positions does he play? Like three? Yeah. Second, third yeah. base and shortstop so, in most someone, leagues. Someone, you know, I'm not gonna pay full price for, but if I can get a little discount, I'm gonna buy. My expectation for him coming in was he can hit around 260, 12 to 15 home runs, mm-hmm. and fifty stolen bases. I didn't think that was too much to ask for. And he's gonna score a lot of runs in that Brewers lineup. My argument for drafting him in the second round this year was the fact that he was going around where Starling Marte was. Meanwhile, he gave you a little bit more pop than Marte, and the stolen bases were more of a short thing. I get that Marte was giving you the batting average, but, I mean, the counting stats across, I thought, could have been very similar or even better for VR. So that's why I was kind of boasting him as a second-round pick. Obviously, it hasn't worked out that way, and I will fully admit it. We come back. Michael Florio's got some very interesting stats that he wants to reveal uh, with our listeners. So we'll do that on the Weekend Fantasy Update on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome back. Weekend Fantasy Update. Mike Florio, Frank Stanfield, Matt Modica. And as Frank said, uh, we have some stats. So I always like to look at like historical trends and, you know, since whatever year, this is the highest ever. So if a guy's like higher than that, I usually think it's going to obviously regress. I don't think people are going to rewrite record books. I know records are made to be broken, but that's usually the way I, I like to look at things. So, I, I mean, I noticed, I wrote an article this week for RotoExperts.com about guys who had really high and really low BABIPs, and, and Miguel Sano's really, really stood out. So, I looked. I went all the way back to 1900, and I found that if the season ended today, Miguel Sano's BABIP, which is 463, would have been the highest going all the way back to 1900. That's over 100, 
almost 120 years of baseball, and his would be the highest. The next closest was Babe Ruth at 423 one season. So, I mean, that's still a 40-point gap between Sano and arguably the greatest player uh, in baseball history in his best Babbitt season. And I also want to point out only 18 players ever have finished a season with a Babbitt higher than 400. So, for Miguel Sano, I mean, sitting at a 4.63 BABIP with a batting average exactly at 300. What do, what do you guys take from this for fantasy purposes and, and his year going forward? I mean, this is pretty insane. I mean, the exit velocity is something that definitely stands out. It's pretty impressive because he hit so many damn home runs. But the, the thing that's helping him here is the line drive percentage at 25%. Is this sustainable? Absolutely not. But, uh, I mean, Sano is and was one of the top prospects back in the day before he uh, had that Tommy John surgery and stuff. So, I mean, good for the Twins. Somebody's working out for them and stuff. And, I I mean, he's another guy that we talk about, Aaron Judge, must-see TV. Miguel Sano is must-see TV right now. So you're telling me he can't be as good as the Babe? What if he's the Babe reincarnated? <laughs> he's, not you know? only, not I mean, he's, got, he, he's got a big belly. You know? Not only would this be as good as the Babe, this would be better than the Babe. In the Babe's best season. Here's what I'll say. Matt brought up the average exit velocity. As good as Aaron Judge, you know, Joey Gallo have been this year. I mean, even Giancarlo Stanton in terms of average exit velocity. Miguel Sano leads the league in average exit velocity at 99.5 miles per hour. That means for every... For every batted ball that he's hit this season, that is his average exit velocity. And it is three miles per hour better than the next best guy, which is Aaron Judge. I get that he strikes out a ton. I mean, he's striking out 37% of the time, which is insane. But every time he puts the ball in play, it's it's hard contact. His soft contact percentage, Matt, is 5.3%. That is unheard of. That means he's not he's not getting jammed. He's seeing the ball very clearly, and he's squaring it up, and he's hitting the ball far. Uh, obviously, I think that the batting average is going to come down because while he's always been a high Babbitt guy, we saw two years ago he had a three ninety six Babbitt across eighty games. So I mean, even if that if that Babbitt comes down maybe a hundred points, his batting average by default is going to drop maybe to two seventy. But but the fact it, that it's going to drop a lot more than that. If his BABIP drops 100 points, his batting average is going to be down in like the 250 Do you think range. he can maintain like a 390 BABIP? Hitting the I, that, ball as hard as he does. I, I don't... I think that's even asking too much. Because, like I said, only... How many was it? 18 players all time had a 400 BABIP. So 10 points lower than that. For a guy who hits a lot of fly balls as well, you got to take into consideration those home runs aren't in, incorporated in this... This Babbitt, because they, they obviously aren't a ball in play. So for a guy who hits the ball in the air so much, there I, I a lot of you have to believe a lot of them are going to lead to outs. So I, I mean if that Babbitt comes down, even if it comes down eighty percentage points, his average is gonna come down a decent amount as well, plus all those strikeouts. I, I see him being more of a hitter in the two fifty range than the three hundreds. Matt, you don't buy the twenty five percent line drive rate. I know it is very high, but just two years ago, in eighty games it was around twenty five percent as well. No, no, I think this is I think this is really a, a special kind of hitter. I do, as I agree, obviously this bat is coming down. I might buy your line where he could maybe do three ninety. Maybe this is a special year for him too. Uh, and as long as he keeps crushing the ball at that rate, at that velocity, that's going to help him. Because you know, if you hit the ball that hard, 
your opportunity to succeed is going to be a lot better if we look at it that way too. He's been the second I, best I think, third baseman in Roto this year and tenth best outfielder. So I mean, for where he was drafted too, he was getting. We were talking about we were comparing him and like Michael Franco before the season. And but, I mean, look at look at what Michael Franco has done compared to. Are, are you saying like rest of the year from from if we start from scratch today on his Babbitt would be three ninety or at year's end it will be three ninety. Probably by year's end it will be 390, which, which I get which what you're saying from it's here, come down from here 70 percentage you know, points, he's gonna and it's going to be like a 320 Babbitt rest of season. So from here on out, he's going to be hitting probably in the 250 range. So uh, what, are, unless he has one of these like all-time great seasons, yeah, that that that, that, that be, is possible. But yeah. I, I'm always one of these guys like when I see something it is so against you know what we've always known. No, throughout you're right. History, but like I sell like it. I don't buy out it. as well. I mean, his what he's doing as far as exit velocity and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's so great that we have all these different things to look at now and break down. And it is a very interesting argument. And he has he has 13 home runs. Think about this: hitting in Minnesota in the cold months. It's not even hot there yeah, yet. I mean, people don't under, aren't making a big enough point about that. July and August especially are going to be very, very interesting. And especially in a place like Minnesota, that's so damn cold from the majority of the year. It is extremely hot in the summer. It's like, you know, they say they have bugs the size of like, <laughs> softballs out there. So. so, I mean, overall, Mike, is the, is the point that you're getting at that you would try to sell high yes. on him right now? Yes. Well, what would you try to get back in the I wrote turn? in my article of try to get like a top 20 bat, batter because I think you could right now. He's hitting 300. You know, the power, everyone knows the power that he has. I think I try to flip him for, you know, a guy coming into the year, a guy who's like still playing well that I think is like a top 20 bat. Who I, I expect to, you know, keep it up what he's doing the rest of the season. Because I I mean, obviously, none of us think he's gonna keep up this Babbitt. I agree, I think he's gonna hit more homers than he's hit these first two months. But if he's not giving you that average, and I mean he still strikes out thirty seven percent of the time, there's gonna be times when he's, you know, at, at slumping pretty heavily. I would well, say here's a point just to make. Uh this is what Steamer has him for us of the season. 23 homers, 66 RBIs, and a 249 batting average. Which is great, but I think if you could flip that for like... No, no, for what you're saying, you're making the right call. This is what we're, if this if, is what we're basing If on. that's what he does, I think if you know the rest of the season, you could find a guy who maybe is going to give you... 15 to 20 homers or in that somewhere in that range but you know a better batting average maybe some stolen bases I think you make that switch see I think he hits 30 more homers this year and I, and I think that average instead of 250 rest of the year could be 270 I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go with you I I understand it's it's scary to look at you know the strikeout percentage but like I said it just seems to be you know sometimes you got to take a risk it, it would depend upon the return of the hitter it have to be somebody that has you know has proven it, and I don't know if somebody you know it would be it would be interesting, but it, it would be a select few hitters I'm going to make that move for. And I said coming in, uh, I I would not be surprised one bit if he hit 40, 45 home runs, and yeah, that's no, hitting in Minnesota. I I want to drive home that point again is that it's not even warm yet, and he already has thirteen home runs. Well, so I mean, he could hit thirteen in a month. Yeah, for the rest of the way, I mean, you're absolutely right. He could hit thirty. I mean. Who's he could hit thirty five at the same token? I mean, I guess you're going to sacrifice some batting average, but I mean, for that kind of power return, uh, it's it's kind of hard to give up. No, I, I agree. The power is legit. I I just I think that average is going to come crashing down. And I mean, he has literally the high. It would be the highest Babbitt by far of all time, and he's hitting three hundred. That's not a good sign. But 
The next stat, if this was uh, coming into last night's games, if the season ended, I guess, before last night, three of the top four ISOs since 2010 would be from this season. Freddie Freeman would be first at 407. Mike Trout second at 405. I know both of those guys are on the DL. Uh, Aaron Judge would be uh, th- would be fourth with a 354 ISO. The only player to have a higher ISO than what Aaron Judge has done so far since 2010 over the course of a full season was uh, Jose Batista when he hit 357 in the 2011 season, I believe it was. So... For these three guys, obviously Freeman and Trout, it sucks. They're on the DL. This is more centered towards Aaron Judge then. Would you sell high? I have a question for you guys, especially you, the Yankee fan here, but for, for, for both. Rest of the season, Sano or Judge? Uh, I think I would go Judge. I think I would too. I just, I trust it more. I mean, we talk about guys that hit the ball extremely hard. Judge hits the ball hard, extremely hard as well, and he strike he strikes out maybe 7 or 8% less of the Ten, time. Not almost almost 10% less. Than, than Miguel Sano does. Look, I just poured my heart out for Miguel Sano, so I, I think it's close, but I, I would rather have Aaron Judge. I might go, I, I might lean Sano for the fact that he does have that third base outfield eligibility, and it is nice to use that, you know, especially in deeper leagues. But I agree. It's extremely close. Slightly but, goes Sano for me. But don't, I mean, everything that I said again about Sano, to a lesser extent, goes for Judge. I mean, Judge has a 404 Babbitt right now, and he's hitting 326. So, you know, as that, that Babbitt, I, I think, I mean, I think he will be a high Babbitt guy just because of how hard he hits the ball. But I, I do think it will decrease somewhat, maybe 30% or something like that throughout the rest of the season. If that happens, I mean that the judge's batting average will come down. But I, I don't think Judge is not a guy who can hit 300. I think he very well could. I have no faith in Sano that he could hit 300. And I brought up the home run to fly ball ratio earlier with Aaron Judge. It's over 40 percent right now, the highest mark for a hitter at season's end since like 2002 when they started tracking batted ball statistics. Was Ryan Howard in 2006? He had 58 home runs that year. I don't, I don't think that Aaron Judge is going to get there. Obviously, he's still a rookie, so we could see a slump here or there. Uh, but it seems like every time he hits a fly ball, it's going out of the park. Because he hits the ball so hard, similar to Miguel Sano. Uh, we'll do some fact or fiction with some rest of season rankings. We have Justin Verlander up next. We'll look at Matt Modica's rankings here on the Weekend Fantasy Update. Whoa, what's going on here? The weekend fantasy update. Frank Stanfield, Michael Florio, Matt Modica. Stick around. Up next, we'll have the father and son NASCAR hour live in studio. Scott Engel here with Sean. They'll be previewing the race at Dover. So you want to stick around with that. Win some money in NASCAR DFS. Or if you play the season-long uh, <laughs> season long game. Scott, uh, Scott in here in here pouring water very obnoxiously, but we'll let him slide for now. Uh, before the break, I previewed we would do some fact or fiction segments uh, using some of the rankings that you have, Matt. Obviously, you pay very much close attention to the starting pitchers. In your rest-of-season rankings, you have Justin Verlander as a top 15 starting pitcher rest-of-season. You kind of... Spoken about this a little bit throughout the show that you have those guys ranked so high because they do it year in and year out, and you know how many innings he's going to give you, and you know where he's going to be at season's end. 
Here's what I will say about Verlander so far this year. The 4.50 ERA, the FIP, XFIP Sierra, everything is right in line with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it doesn't point to him getting much better. Strikeouts are way down, just 8.34 Ks per nine. And his walks are way up. He's around four uh, walks per nine, which is the highest it would ever be in his career. And mind you, I mean, early in his career, he did have a lot of control issues. But this isn't the picture we've seen the past two seasons, especially last year in the second half. I mean, his his command was impeccable. The problem this year, he's not getting hitters to swing at pitches outside the strike zone. That outside swing swing rate is way down. Uh, so those are leading to more walks. And Justin Verlander is a fly ball pitcher. He's going to give up home runs. He allowed a career high in home runs last year, but most of them were solo shots. Now, if you couple that with him walking batters, he's not giving up solo shots anymore. He's giving up two-run bombs, three-run bombs. That has been the downfall for Verlander. So I ask you, are you buying... Obviously, you have him ranked there as a top 15 pitcher. So tell me, what do you believe about Verlander that's going to get better? Obviously, the command. But you look at his line right now. If you didn't tell me who this was, I would think it's like CC Sabathia or something like that. If it was anybody else, I wouldn't have him ranked 15th. But Justin Verlander seems to figure it out every year. He said it last May in a tweet. He said, I'm very close. Uh, I haven't seen any tweets like that this year. <laughs> but, uh, look, his walk percentage, uh, his walk rate is almost double his career. This is going to correct. This is a guy that knows how to pitch. You have to bet on people sometimes. I usually like to bet on the skills. The one thing you did point out, the chase rate, the people aren't going after it. But I think he's going to find a way, figure it out. Hey, look, I got 16th. I got Paxton. 17th, I have McCullers. I think they're both top 10 pitchers. Question is, Lance McCullers threw like 80 innings last year. And as much as I love him, can he throw another 100 or more innings the rest of the season? James Paxton, who I adore as well. Problem is, he's already been on the DL. So you have to take these into consideration. I'm I, I'm going to bet on a guy like Verlander. I think he's a buy low guy. He's pitched much better at home. He's not, you know, he's gotten trouble with the home run ball, especially on the road. The home run, I think he's only given up like one at home, so that's really helped him out. This is his rough patch. I mean, if you look back the last couple of seasons, post-All-Star break, this guy seems to really get on a roll. And as I mentioned with Cueto and Lester, who I have a lot more faith in, uh, they're there every season, end of September. You know, when you want to win a championship, you need these kind of guys. And in terms of the skills, too, I mean, look at the velocity this year. It's up. His fastball velocity at 95. The slider. He's throwing his slider an average uh, average velocity of 90 miles per hour for a slider. I mean, that's like Noah Syndergaard's slider right there. And Justin Verlander's throwing it. Yeah, so he's a special, like I said, he's a special case. You point these things out. Sometimes, you know, as much as I want to bet on skills and look at deep dive, you have to bet on the player. I'm, I'm saying this is fiction. I tweeted it out uh, er, today. He's the 42nd ranked starting pitcher in points leagues and 340, 324th player overall in Roto Leagues. And I get it. I, I do agree with what you guys said. I do think he gets somewhat better. But my issue is I think there is something wrong with Justin Verlander right now. Like you said, people are swinging at his pitches out of the zone less than ever. They're, his swing strike rate is down. His contact rate is is up. So I think all of that, looking at that, I mean, I've been saying it since, uh, you know, like early in April. I, I just think there's something wrong with him because they're not chasing out of the zone, which to me explains the walk rate because, you know, he's trying to get these pitchers, mm-hmm. to, these batters to swing, and they're not. And so that's leading to more walks. He's falling behind in counts, so maybe that's leading to more contact. 
But also, I, I look at, you know, April, maybe, you know, he's a slow starter. That's what he's always done. In May, his walks were on par with what he was doing in April, so that's a negative. His strikeouts were down. He was averaging less than 8 Ks per 9 in May, and his whip was still 1.34. And the BABIP in May, I know he had a an ERA over 4. His BABIP was 264, and the strand rate was 76.8%. Significant, both were significantly better than what they were in April, yet he still wasn't pitching well. I... It's not that I think, you know, he's just lost all his skills. I don't know if he's hurt or something. I think something is wrong with Justin Verlander. And you, I look at the splits from last year, too. Like, he struggled in the first half and then really turned it on in the second half. He had something like an ERA under two for the second half. So I looked at last year's struggles in the first half, and it wasn't a command thing either. He was just getting hit hard. He was giving up home runs in the first half last season. The strikeouts went up in the second half. But it's not like he had bad command. So I am very worried about the command. I'm somewhere in the middle of both of you right now. I guess I'm going to say it's fiction. He's not a top 15 starting pitcher rest of season. But top 20, top 25, that's probably closer to where I'm at. But I'm not completely writing him off like Mike is. There is a chance that you know he is playing with an injury. I mean, him, Masahiro Tanaka, I mean, we're seeing seasons out of them that we don't normally see, and obviously, I mean, with Tanaka much more, the first thing we think is injury because, I mean, he has a partially torn UCL, but perhaps there is something going on with Verlander. So I, I guess I'm in the middle. I'm selling it. He's not top 15, but maybe top 25. I I, I get everything you guys are saying, and I'm not saying you're wrong. Last year, he had, he had better skills after the first two months. So there's that to take into consideration. But he did have a 4.11 ERA. He did have a 3.99 xFIP. It's worse this season. But I'm just saying, it's, it's a guy. I'm betting on the guy here, figuring it out. It's the track record's there, and you know you have to take some shots and I, take a shot in JV. I may be on an island here, but I'd rather have Tanaka than Verlander going forward. I'm, Tanaka does fine. have some good skills. The, the, I mean, believe it or not, he's been shelled for seven runs. Yeah, the thing is, he's times, so but. weird. His strikeouts are up. His swing strike rate is in top ten in the league. The only thing is, he's giving up so many home runs. And I, I know he's always been a guy who's given up some, but 21.2%. I see that number coming way down, more toward this career norm. And... I just think as that happens, you know, the ERA is going to come down. Give me the strike guys getting the strikeouts. And, and at least, so like, I, I don't look at Tanaka and be like, so, like I, I at least with him, I think I could kind of figure it out. He's been a little bit more unlucky than, you know, than uh, his numbers indicate. Ver, Verlander, I, I, I'm worried about both of these guys, but Verlander, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something wrong with him or whatever. I'd have him... It's crazy to say, because I, I could look very foolish for saying this. Matt could be right, you know, trust the guy. Frank, you could be right. Maybe he's in the middle, but I'd have him more in the twenty-five to 30, 35 range than, I don't think, than higher you know, than that. From just looking at it, if you were just pulled up his page, say on Fangraphs, I don't think that's outrageous what you're saying. I'm just presenting my case. I mean, yeah, 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 that's fine. Let's move on to a hitter right here. Fact or fiction? Justin Bohr is a top 10 first baseman uh, rest of season. You look at what he's done in Roto right now. He's ranked as the seventh best first baseman. I mean, he's moved ahead of Eric Thames, ahead of Wibble Myers. Uh, Anthony Rizzo obviously has struggled this season. He's ahead of all those guys. Justin Bohr was a name that was, you know, he was being drafted as a corner infielder. I mean, in that Greg Bird range, Tommy Joseph, maybe I could get 25 plus home runs out of him. 
Here's something that I wanted to bring up. He is absolutely destroying left-handed pitching this year. And he's just destroying the ball overall in general. I mean, 48% hard hit rate. He's up there with guys like Aaron Judge, like Miguel Sano. Uh, he's tied for 10th in all of baseball. Average exit velocity at 93.8 miles per hour. So he's clearly seeing the ball very well. Uh, and he's hitting it very hard. Matt, I want to ask you. Do we... Because I like to look at splits from one year to the next. If I see a hitter who has struggled against left-handed pitching throughout his career, I worry that there might be some playing time concerns. And I think everyone had these worries with Justin Bohr, but he still does, he's 29 years old. I mean, maybe he's just coming into his prime right now. He needed an opportunity to play every day against left-handed pitching. Do we overrate splits too much during draft season? Because guys like him and Jake Lamb, they were pushed down the board because we didn't think that they were going to hit against left-handed pitching. Maybe not even play against left-handed pitching. So... Are you buying Justin Bohr as a top 10 first baseman for the rest of the season? That's first part. Second part, do we put too much stock into splits in the preseason? Top 10 is going to be tough for me rest of the season. I think, you know, the power's always been real. What the Marlins did say prior to the season was he was going to be the everyday first baseman. He was going to face left-handed hitting. And that's been the case. Like I said, he's crushing it. So that's a real major improvement. But if I had a choice right now, if somebody said, I'll, you know, give me uh, Justin Bohr and I'll send you Eric Thames, I'm taking Eric Thames. Just just as like a, just to try and gauge it. That, that's saying, I don't think he's a total fluke. I'm just trying to think about Anthony Rizzo, Goldschmidt. Uh, well, for, I mean, Freeman's gone, but Abreu's another guy I like. I'm trying to think of the full packages here. Brandon Belt. I mean, maybe he is. Maybe it's it's close. I think it's I think it's a borderline thing due to the injuries. You don't think there's a chance that this is like a career year for him and he hits like 35 home runs, which would make oh, I, him a top I, I 10 first baseman. Runs, yeah, I think the home runs, 30 home runs, is is there. 35 is possible. You know, I, I Bohr was a guy I was very high on, not very high, but I was high on coming into the year. I liked him a lot. I'm gonna say he will be back end of this, but I will say he, fact he is top ten. And on your splits thing, I do think we overrated at times because this is a guy who had a very small sample size against lefties coming into the year. Even with this year, he has just 142 <laughs> career at bats against left-handed pitching. That is not enough to make a judgment, especially taking away what he had before this season. That's a really good play. We got a couple more factor fictions. We'll finish the show up with those you're listening to the weekend fantasy update on fantasy sports radio network yeah welcome back weekend fantasy update frank stample mike florio Matt Modica, I wanted to ask you this before, Matt. When I heard you talking about James Paxson, I was very intrigued. It was like something you said. You were like, I adore James Paxson. I'm like, do you have a poster of this guy in, in, in your room? Or you have him as your, your laptop background or something? No, but... Uh, May Crush? I was thinking about getting a big maple tattoo, but... You know, yeah. That tattoo <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> they call him the big maple? I, oh, I love it. The big maple. All right, we only got a few minutes here, but we'll kind of run through these real quick. Fact or fiction... Miguel Cabrera is not a top 20 hitter. I mean, I'm just going to say it right here. I, I absolutely think that this is, I guess it would be fiction, right? Yes. If I think he is a top 20 hitter, then it is fiction. You look at the hard hit rate, 48% of the time, and his line drive rate is 30%. We were just talking about how Miguel Sano's 25% <laughs> line drive rate was absurd. 
Miguel Cabrera is hitting a ton of line drives and he's hitting the ball hard. His hard hit rate is up there with those guys. Meanwhile, his batting average is just 275 and the home run to fly ball ratio is also very low. So is he going to live up to preseason expectations as a borderline first round pick? Probably not, but can he hit 20 home runs the rest of the way and hit over 320? I think that's possible. Yeah, I got asked yesterday, is he still a top 10 hitter? And I, I struggled I so. to say he was, so that's why I made it top 20 for us to play the digging today. I do agree he's in that 10 to 20 range for me. If he was healthy, for the, if I knew he'd be healthy for the next four months, uh, I would say he would be a top 10 hitter the rest of the way. I'm totally buying top 20, as you, just for the things you pointed out. I mean, this is another guy, just gets it done. Last September, he was playing on a busted ankle and went, went insane. So I think he's going to, you know, I think the best is yet to come and it's going to be a lot of good things. And I would, he's another guy. If you can get him, go after him. Matty Moe, fact or fiction, Anthony Rizzo is the top second baseman where eligible. I'm not sure that people have caught on to this yet, but he's played five games at second base. They do like this weird late game defensive shift mm-hmm. for the Chicago Cubs where he ends up at second base. In the leagues where you need games started at that position, it's not going to work. But if you just need five appearances, he has second base eligibility. Does that make him the best second baseman right now? I'm still going to go with Jose Altuve as the best second baseman in fantasy. Uh, He's going to give you that average, the speed. He'll he'll hit 15 home runs for the season or maybe more. But I'm going to go Altuve. But if you're an Anthony Rizzo owner and you get that eligibility, you are... Very happy. Especially with as many first basemen that have broke out, too. I mean, we're mm-hmm. talking about Justin Bohr. I mean, Eric Thames. If you drafted these guys and you could put them at first base and now Ryan put Zimmerman Anthony Rizzo here. at your second base position or middle infield, I'm, that's insane. I'm saying this is fact because I think Rizzo's going to have a much better final four months than two months. His bad babe, I wrote about him the other day. It's been very low. And just think about it. I mean, this guy consistently hits around 300. He's even stealing some more bases this year. He, he could end up with between five and ten. And he's going to get hit 30 homers. If there was a, a guy coming into the year that had second base eligibility doing all those things, I think he would be a top five pick. So I'm actually going to say this is fact. But you say coming into the year, they gave Rizzo they gave Rizzo second base eligibility. Would you take him? He had second base and Altuve. Would you take him over Altuve? I, I think I would, yes. I think I'd have to go Altuve. That's fair enough. I think they're very, very close. All right. Fact or fiction? Elvis Andrews is a top five shortstop rest of season in Roto right now. He's the number one shortstop. He's ahead of Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Gene Segura is a little banged up right now, but Bogarth, Lindor, all these guys that were drafted in the first two, three rounds. Elvis Andrews was like a ninth, tenth round pick. He's the number one shortstop. Matty Moe, are you buying him as a top five shortstop rest of season? Top five is tough because there's so many good shortstops. Yep. I'd say maybe he's just outside, maybe sixth or seventh. But I, I think the guys are going to hit another seven, eight home runs. The speed is there. The average, you know, I, I think will dip. But he's maybe right outside just because of the extreme talent at the position. I think he finishes top five. I'm not sure if he's – I think he's probably like six or seven rest of season. I do agree with you guys. Everybody, thank you for listening. Matt Modica, thank you for stopping by and helping us out. Business associate of Joe Galina, <laughs> who hopefully will be back next week. Stick around. Father and son NASCAR hour up next Scott and Sean Engel previewing the race at Dover. Check that out.